Hola, hola, it's your girl, that is Jasmine, and thank you for tuning in to Hello Latino. Y'all about to meet Jenny from El Barrio, from growing up in Brooklyn during the 80s with her single mother and being surrounded by immigrant culture to now being a Latina entrepreneur featured in Forbes and giving back to her community. Y'all will feel so inspired, and I know you'll also feel seen and you'll feel heard. Jessica Gomez is a Dominican-American tech entrepreneur, marketer, and storyteller from Williamsburg, Brooklyn co-founder and chief marketing officer of OneKin, a company focused on scaling and elevating black and brown businesses to stimulate socioeconomic growth in underserved communities. A reminder to shop black and brown not only this holiday season, but post-holiday season and forever as long as you can. Que disfruten. Vamos. <laughs> Lista. Well, I'm super excited to have you. Shout out to Yuridia for always introducing me to the best people, literally the best people. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on here to have to hear your story, hear about everything that you're doing for la comunidad and just to yeah, have this cafecito and cheese with you. <laughs> I love it. Yes, shout out to La Prima, actual Prima, not like how us Dominicans call everybody primos because we are uh, familiar people. Um, but yes, it's I'm excited to be chatting with you as well. Love the space that you're creating for Latinx storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, to, you know uh, get get intimate with your, with your audience. Yes. Wait, espérate. You guys are primas, de verdad? Yes, yeah, we are primas, what? primas. Yeah, that's what I'm like, primas. not not in the Dominican sense of way where we're like we're all related, we're all primos. You know, we call each other uh-huh. primas. Like, Así decimos también. So I was like, oh, de verdad, you're yeah. like prima, prima. Yeah, we are prima, primas. <laughs> oh my gosh, pues mira, I had no idea. <laughs> bueno, I want to start with the first question, and that is, how do you identify and why? You know what's funny? It's a simple question, but it's so complicated. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. every Latino will tell you the same thing. Um, I, growing up, always identified as Dominican. I'm Dominican, the end, right? Not Dominican-American, etc. cetera. Um, and then I went to boarding school um, and nobody knew what a Dominican was. And I was in Boston, which was funny because, you know, this was the era of, you know, Pedro Martinez, of, you know, um, Big Papi. And so when you would say, oh, it's the same, you know, it's where Big Papi's from. They're all black. Oh, yeah, you guys are cool. <laughs> um, so then in that context, I had to explain what a Dominican was. And like, then I was just like, you know what, the language we have in terms of pan latinones or latinidad was was Hispanic, and I, I hate the word um, now too, especially now, but I was like, you know, I'm Hispanic or I'm Latina because they didn't get Latina either, um, mm-hmm. you know, amongst my, my white colleagues. So so I was Hispanic. Um, and then if people pride and knew what that entailed and that we were comprised of so many different countries, um, then I would explain the, the Dominican piece. Um, and then I went to college and I was like, I'm owning it. Like I am Latina, but I am Dominican, and it's just interesting, like the 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 power like you know power that language has because now we have you know Latinx and we have Afro Latina and you know, just language and words and vocabulary that we didn't 
um, have as identifiers growing up, right? So, um, so, so you know, at the beginning with Afro Latina, I had, I was conflicted with it to be very honest with you because it felt mm. redundant to me. Um, really, it did because in my mind, um, you know, I was of the African diaspora. You know what I mean? I am. We are comprised of Black Taino and, and European blood, you know, and I, my experience, um, my lived experience is more with the dias- the African diasporic experience, right? Um, based, based on what I look like too. And so, and so to me, it felt redundant to have to say Afro-Latina because it was implicit in me being Dominican. And then as I started to unpack that, I realized, you know what, like there is some serious um, implicit discrimination and bias and erasure and, you know, colonization in our, in our mindset and our proximity to, to, you know, to blackness in, in Latino countries. And so I, I, I grew to appreciate that it was important to say Afro-Latina too, because of that context, um, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, how, 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 right. Like that, that, that distancing, um, in Latino culture from, from our, our, you know, black roots. Um, so, yeah, so, so I still, you know, depending on kind of the, the, the environment I'm in, I will still say I'm Dominican because th- that is an identifier from a cultural perspective, from who I am, from my family, you know? Um, but if I'm speaking in general terms, in terms of us as like la raza, you know, I will, you, I, you'll hear me say Afro-Latina. Yeah, it's like you said, it's a very, it seems like a very simple question, Ma, but like, no, it's really not. <laughs> and I think it goes back to, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this and reflecting on why it's so difficult for Latinos, you know, from indigenous to mestizos mm-hmm. to, you know, like African roots who are, you know, like live a black experience. Like right. all of us have difficulty with having like one word like this is how mm-hmm. I identify right and it's and I think it goes back to the complications of what Latini what Latini that is and what it looks like and how it got started and it comes you know way back in history in a time where we were colonized and Absolutely. we you know like when we start to understand and unpack our our very like you know twisted and really like sad ancestry and how it was mm-hmm. basically taken we start to understand okay that's where the beginning of this identity issues <laughs> kind of really came into play because we have a very complicated ancestry absolutely it's so complicated right yeah. like it's really really complicated and i think that complication it's like talk about generational you mm-hmm. know trauma and generational things ancestral trauma that we carry but it's all still happening. You know, it keeps it keeps adding to the confusion of what is our identity. Right. And, you know, it's I'm careful and I'm cautious with how, you know, I speak to my experience. Right. Because I understand and appreciate that everybody has their own journey um, in identity. You know, like we're you know, we're all comprised of so many different things. And like, I think it's there's a moment now uh it's 2020, the year of reckoning, right? Where we're, mm-hmm. it's not just a global reckoning, but we're like reckoning with ourselves too, and being forced to to unpack and explore kind of all these these sides of us and all these feelings. I mean, you know, 
I understand the intention and the rationale behind it. Um, but I have to be honest, when I saw a lot of, you know, during the Black Lives Matter movement, when people were saying Latinos for Black, for black lives, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I personally, you know, was uncomfortable with that. Um, it gave me pause because it, to me, again, there was that separation. And then again, it, you know, not all of our Latino countries obviously have, um, you know, some of us, some of the countries are more, you know, indigenous influenced within, you know, their indigenous cultures and European, and they may not have um, African roots or, or some of us, you know, especially in the Caribbean are, are, are more, um, have a little bit more of that mestizo-ness, right, for lack of a better term. So to me, it just, it caused, it, it like, it, it shows a separation too. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, you know, it just, it's, I, I take note of all these feelings and what, and what I'm experiencing and why, um, and how everybody else is reacting to it. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, right? Because it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all personal for everyone. Um, I just, yeah. I just think it's, it's an interesting place and juncture, um, in, in our history, um, to see how people are navigating all of this and what will come out of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally interesting. And I think one of the beautiful things of doing this podcast is with every episode, I think we're really reshaping what Latinidad looks like. And I think that's where the problem really begins, right? Is mm -hmm. what do you think of Latina, Latino, what do you think of? And it's probably, you know, someone that kind of looks like me, right? Like fair skinned and, you know, long straight hair or whatever you see in the media is probably what you think of as Latino, Latina. That's but, exactly right. Right. And, and, you know, like I always recognize that privilege that I have, but there's so many other layers to Latinidad. There's Asian mm -hmm. Latinos, you know, like. Exactly. Peru, that's right. Peru, yeah. Peru has mm -hmm. a heavy Japanese influence. And, and like, even when people think about Honduras, I don't even know if people think about Honduras, but. Or Costa Rica, you uh -huh, know. Exactly. Costa Rica is another one when, when I visited. I had no idea that on the side of Limon, you know, there was such a big influence of Jamaican culture, you know, Cajuita and all those areas. And, and it, I mean, you go there and you're like, am I? Where I'm in Jamaica, or I'm you know, <laughs> it's it, no, but it's cierto, yeah. it's cierto, and that's what again I'm trying to capture this these these communities that are not often represented in what quote unquote Latinidad looks like, mm -hmm. and it's like breaking that mold and redefining what it means to be Latina Latino. So I feel like when you were saying about Afro Latino, it was like oh, it's kind of like redundant. Like, I see your point, right. you know, like, I, I totally get it. And I see where that comes from. And maybe it's also a time for people to recognize, like, yes, there is, there are Afro Latinos, and they're still Latinos, like you and me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly right. I love it. This, this whole, this question always, like, you know, brings up this really beautiful conversation about well, let's talk about why it's so hard to identify. <laughs> and is it is it hard for everybody else too? I feel like anyone it's like yeah. asking somebody what do you want and the first thing they say is like well, what what do you what do you mean? I <laughs> No, in yeah. every episode people are like, you know, you sent me this and I always send it before just so that people can reflect and think about it because I know it's like a hard question. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, every episode some people are very, you know, they know. They're like, "Oh, well, I'm Chicana or I'm this." But I swear to you, there's always like two to three terms they identify with. Yeah. 
there's it's just always so complex and that's again i think what latino latina is Mm -hmm. there's so many complexities and layers to our history to our ancestors to our identity still and i think it modulates too depending on like the time the time you know where you are in your life but also whom you are around um and and that's okay too you know oh my god yeah it's shaped by your environment totally absolutely well i would love to talk about you know, your story, your background, your Latinidad, your Dominican culture. Yeah. I want to hear from the beginning, whether it's your immigration story, your family's immigration story, and then we can unpack your story from there. Yeah. Well, I was born in Brooklyn. Um, shout out to Brooklyn, always. <laughs> um, I, and uh, But my parents um, are Domin- born and raised in, Domin- in DR. Um, my husband is... Um, was born there and came when he was very young. Mm-hmm. But um, my parents, so they, they, you know, they separated when I, before I was born. Um, so they, um, my father actually came to the U.S. Uh, beforehand. Um, was the first one to come in to come here, and and my mother, um, he brought my mother soon thereafter. Um, but, you know, we grew up in a, they grew up in, you know, small little countryside in Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic, you know, between the beaches and, and the mountains, um, the rivers and the mountains. And, and I remember going there as a kid thinking that, um, you know, it was the most magical place in the world. Um, and my grandparents had, you know, they had land and they had chivos and vacas and, and little farms <laughs> and I got to ride horses and and then I'd come to the concrete jungle, and that to me was like paradise compared to um, to growing up in Brooklyn in the '80s and '90s, um, which was a rough a rough place. Um, but um, but yeah, my mom was one of the first ones in her family to to come over to the U.S. because here, you know, money grows on trees, and uh, life mm-hmm. is so much better. And so she came over. Um, and slowly but surely, man, she just worked like a dog to be able to bring over her 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 dad and her and her family. And then little by little, every you know, she brought over various um, siblings who would then bring um, you know their respective families over. Yeah. And I would laugh because my mother, being one of the first ones who came here. We had a two-bedroom apartment, which was like a rarity, right? To have like a two-bedroom apartment, it was like wow. And um, and so my apartment was the pit stop for everybody who came off the boat, right? It was like, <laughs> you know, it would be me and my mom in one bedroom, and then this time this year it was like, you know, Tia Coca with her three kids, and they would stay in the other ones, and it'd be one crazy big happy family, and then they'd get settled, everybody would get jobs, they'd find an apartment, and then we'd bring the other group over. Um, I grew up with all of this, like, you know, vibrancy and community, and everybody in each other's, like, business, and everybody moving in, and staying in the community, and raising each other, and each other's kids. Um, and that, that to me was, was just, was, was beautiful, you know? And so, and so, yeah, so that, that was our like coming to America moment. Um, and slowly but surely, you know, a lot, we still have so many, so much family back in DR. Um, but, but the majority of our family came and settled in, in, in Brooklyn and Los Sures of Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Some of them went to, to the Heights, 
um, and to the Bronx. But those those are a different breed of Dominicans. We laugh all the time. We're like, we got the, the chill Brooklyn Dominicans. And then the ones in the Heights are just like, you know, like party central. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and, and lack of a letter, <laughs> lack of, of, of words. I could only describe them as that onomatopoeia. It's just like party all the time. No, but it's a, it's a good time. I I don't know how. So you're you're in California, right? Um, yeah. Is- so I fall in love with New York with every episode because like I've had a lot of New Yorkers on here, and I'm like, oh, you guys are making me want to go to New York and live a life out there <laughs> around diversity. <Absolutely>. But <laughs> yeah, I'm over here in Cali. Yeah, you know what's so funny? It's I don't know if you got a chance to watch this, um, and I'm like I'm I'm legit over the moon about it for myriad of reasons. Um, Vampires versus the Bronx. Have you heard no. of it? No, no, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. <laughs> Everybody has to go watch it. It is hysterical. So it was produced. Um, it was directed and written by by a Dominican. Um, and um and you know Loren Michaels from SNL. And so it was a horror comedy, horror comedy um film. But what I loved so much about it is how authentic it was to the New York, to the Dominican American, the Dominican New York experience. And oftentimes or when, you know, whether it's books that we're reading or movies that we're watching that are supposed to be a representation of those people. It's usually outsiders who are writing from their perspective within. It's very, you know, it's rare to have representation at every element. And I felt like this film was so curated um, from like the imagery to the, the type, you know, the actors who were casted to the music, the background music. I was like, what? what? They did, they, they included this throwback bachata? This is legit. <laughs> and it, it was just the flavor, the sazon, the feel of what, you know, living in New York City as a Dominican um, felt like in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, that, that sense of community. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's in each other's business. Business. The bodega guy looks out for all the kids. You know, that 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 was awesome. So if you want a little bit of, of what the, the New York Dominican experience is like, just just pop on that 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 movie and check it out. You'll have right, a good laugh. <laughs> write it down. I wanna I wanna ask you because you said growing up in Brooklyn in the 80s, 90s was rough. So talk a little bit more about growing up, you know, with with this Dominican community, with tu familia coming in and out of your house. Yeah. Um, but talk about you, you know, growing up as a first generation, right? Mm-hmm. You're, first, you're navigating this first, you know, experiences in, in the United States. So in New York. So talk about being raised in Brooklyn and growing up in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, Brooklyn, Williamsburg now is like, it's just like a completely different um, place and, and um, you know, um, experience and that I had growing up. Um, it's, you know, gentrification really took uh, changed the culture there. And there's still like, you know, little pockets here and there still where I grew up, Los Ures, where my mother lives. Um, that is still reminiscent of, of when I was growing up, at least the community elements, but mm-hmm. you know, 80, the eighties and nineties in, in, in Brooklyn was peak heroin epidemic. Um, you know, people talk about the heroin epidemic now because it obviously affects a broader sense of communities, but it destroyed, um, and ran its course through through Brooklyn um, back when I was growing up, um, 
And, you know, it was just an interesting place because you had, it was a, an immigrant, you know, city, right? Like you had, especially when I was, where I was growing up in Williamsburg, you had the Italians, you had Greeks, you had the Hasidic community, the Hasidic Jewish community, right? Um, you had, Af- you know, Black Americans, and then you had pockets of Puerto Ricans were, were more dominant then, and Dominicans were kind of slowly tar- starting to populate the neighborhood. Um, but growing up in kind of this confluence of all these different cultures, and of course you have the like the Chino Latino stores, you know, the Chinese like stores and communities that spoke, you know, perfect Spanish, and you know, yep. <laughs> and included totones in their in their food, um, and platanos, and we're like, that's amazing, we love you guys. But um, but yeah, so so it was this beautiful community of immigrant, and there was a sense of like shared struggle. Um, and we all, everyone sacrificed so much trying to get there to create, you know, a better world for themselves and their families. And so, yeah, it was a dearth of resources from an education level, from a government funding level, from, I mean, there's so much conversation around, the, you know, police brutality and, and, and corruption now. But I remember growing up, like the cops were the mafia, right? Like I, they would run into buildings and like steal from you know, steal from, from various different people They, you know, they were the biggest drug dealers and the kids were running drugs for them, you know, and it wasn't until, you know, I think it was Giuliani in that time, um, came up and like swap, like swept the entire cleaned house. Um, and a lot of these, the, the, you know, the police and, and, and fire, fire departments, etc. But that was a norm for us, you know? And so you don't trust the police because they're crooked and they're crooked like everybody else. Um, you know, and so you had this this kind of, this duality of living in a very impoverished, crime-ridden space and like area. Yeah. Um, that was also the most rawest like form of like community and realness you would find. Um, and that to me was beautiful, right? And I find that people often talk about like, oh, they're romanticizing the ghetto. It's not even that. Um, honestly, I get so offended when people say that because who yeah, are you yeah. to tell me what's beautiful or not? Yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. like, why exactly. can I find beautiful is only like, you know, all that is good. You know, there is, there's, I found Jesus in Brooklyn. I found community in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Like I found, you Girl know, snaps. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, I will, the yep. people who I grew up with are the, the, the most the purest form of love and community and realness and struggle and perseverance that I will ever have ever met and will ever find no matter what cross, you know, I've met people from all over the world. Um, and that to me is a, a group of different people all trying, you know, all struggling through and raising each other's kids and, and working in community to support and elevate one another. That to me will, is, is beautiful. Um, and given whatever the, uh, you know, the ugliness of the context around them. So yeah, so that, that more or less is, is, is kind of like the place I grew up in, grew up with, again, having all kinds of friends. My mother um, worked six to seven days a week. She was a single mom. Um, and so she worked in, in the factories in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Now the factories were all owned um, by the Hasidic community. So people mm-hmm. laugh. I mean, when, when you're, um, when you are, a, an, you know, a single mother in a community of immigrants, everyone comes to your rescue, right? Like everyone plays a role in helping raise your child. And so I had, you know, 
I had tias watching me at any given moment. I had neighbors, you know, yeah. um, upstairs who were like mothers to me, um, who who would be who would step in. My uncles would come and check in and check in on us. The you know we had a check in system. My mom. So after school, um, you know, we get out of school and and there was like a, a pit stop that I needed to make, right? And there were checkpoints. So like if by three o'clock I wasn't at in front of like the Collado store. Um, that's where I would go get my like quarter, my quarter juice, my colorful <laughs> sugar water <laughs> grenade juice with my Twinkie because I was a fatty. By that time, like there would be a phone call to my mother. She would know about it. And if by 3 to 15, I wasn't in front of Ponce's store, you know, then he would be looking out and, and asking where, where I was. So like, wow. Yeah, that was <laughs> the kind of community I grew up in. And the funny part is on Saturdays or Sundays, you know the the owners of the of the um, factory that my mom worked at. He would understood my mom's situation and would let me come. I was like the only kid who got to go to these factorias, man, and it was like a playground. Oh my gosh! I how, would, yeah, I'm like, how? It- listen, <laughs> it was, I mean, these, these factories were full of immigrants, obviously, right? There would be tons of like Ecuadorians uh. and Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, um, but but um, but everybody was just like you know, we come in sewing and like everybody would have food. But I had, listen, my bop, my Barbie dolls had the best knit sweaters, um, <laughs> you know, and I would best spend Barbies on the block. You know, like, <laughs> I would, um, I would spend the day collecting different buttons across that I would find. And then, oh you know, the, the, the owners, everyone used to call them La Misis y El Misen. I think it's because <laughs> they couldn't pronounce their real names. And um, La Misis and El Mister had, um, would have, you know, they had tons of kids. And, and so like, they took a liking, obviously I, as the only kid coming around would come and play with, with these little, um, you know, younger, like Hasidic um, girls. And, um, and, you know, the mom would always be like, you know, we're going through so much clothes. And she would like give my mom like bags of, of dresses for me. And like, I don't know if you've been to Williamsburg um, and you, you've been around Hasidic communities, but you know, they have a very specific attire. It's all very yeah. covered, floral, dark print and so here comes this little dominican chick with these like my mom would make me wear these like you know these hasidic jewish oh my god (laughs) to school and and places oh man we had fun oh man (laughs) that's so funny and did you not like no, like you were just like, this is normal. <laughs> no, I, I was like, I don't know why my mom keeps putting these damn dresses. Oh, <laughs> like, um, but it was, you know, it was just all of that. Like that was all. Um, I feel like that's what's missing these days. You know, it's like that 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 level of being able to kind of appreciate each other's differences, accept them, and still come together based on you know, shared values, um, you know, and I, I wish I can recreate that for my daughters to some extent, you know? know. And, you know, I, I want to touch on something you said, because I've heard that term romanticizing the ghetto mm-hmm. a lot. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I grew up in a low income area in right. the hood where people would consider the ghetto, but right. it's so, it's so funny because I never considered that to be the hood (laughs) until I left. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you know, and then like, and then it's like, you don't have the same experience because you know, like I, 
my whole family was super close. So it was hella Hondurans all in one area. And con los primos, las tías, los tíos. And like we had so much of our family. But we had, you know, these um, these black neighbors who would come over and bring soul food. There was Puerto Ricans down the street who would come over all the time or we'd go over. My dad's best friend was Dominican. We had so much diversity around us. I have never had that since. Right. Same. You're totally right. You're totally right. And like now, right, hindsight's 2020. I'm like, oh, that was such a beautiful time where we like had this community, like like so much diversity just around us. Right. And I mean, I think there's there's privilege in saying in saying even the word romanticizing the ghetto because just because it's it's low income and you know we don't have the 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 resources that that more you know compelling areas have doesn't um necessarily mean that there's no beauty in that that there's no beauty in sacrifice or perseverance i you know i just it's it's very offensive um but but of course my you know my husband who's not a native new yorker he's like but isn't it so much nicer now that you can go to a restaurant and you can do none of this existed? And I'm like, yeah, but I wish it wasn't at the cost of, you know, getting the people who grew up here out, you know, or, you know, pricing out the natives here or, or, you know, there's no coexistence is the issue, right? There's no, like I'm coming into the new, a new place and I'm going to coexist and, 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 and blend and enhance what's here. It's, it's it's more so like I'm here, the end, and whatever you had is over. I want to ask you because I have been meeting so many Dominicans in from New York, from different parts of New York, which I'm learning mm-hmm. about. <laughs> I'm like, okay, they're they're different. <laughs> they're different. Got it. Um, but I, from your perspective, I want to hear about Dominican culture, and I want to do a little differently with you because. I feel like we've been learning lots about Dominican culture, but still, like, I feel like if I were to talk to a bunch of Hondurans, we'd still have different things to say about la cultura, you know, or maybe the same, but who knows? Um, But I want to ask you a couple of questions and it's like a lightning round. Okay. So prepare, but let's do it. (laughs) um, But what is your favorite Dominican food? Oh man, los tres golpes. That is Ooh. mango with fried um, sachichon, right? Fried salami, fried mm. egg, and queso frito. Oh, that sounds bomb. It's a heart attack, which is why it's they call it Los Tres Bolas. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good. Listen, that was my breakfast every day growing up. <laughs> I think the one thing people would take away from this uh, this podcast is like, so Jenny was a fatty. Um <laughs> But yeah, that 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 was my preferred breakfast, and still is to this day. No way! Do you still make it for my kids? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love like, it. I like hide by saying like, "Oh yeah, it's totally." You know, I want them to 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 embrace Dominicanness because for them, they're gonna be first generation through my husband, but second generation mm. through me. Ooh. But secretly, it's because I want I want to eat it too, and I need an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's for them. It's for them. <laughs> Right, right. What's your favorite song that reminds you of Dominican culture? Oh, um, uh, Medicina de Amor. 
Medicina de amor. <laughs> but, um, I grew up listening to that song um, under my grandmother's like armpit sleeping. There was this, um, my uncle owned um, a discoteca in Dominican Republic near our house. And so every night at 10 o'clock, they would play that song because it would put me and my grandmother to sleep. And so like I would go to sleep smelling her um, with like rain and a fan in the background oh man it was the best so I every time I hear that song it just like completely catapults me um yeah. to that moment takes you back absolutely I love that you said by the way under your grandma's armpit <laughs> 100 that's where I stopped I'm laughing because that's how my family puts their babies asleep they like put the baby <laughs> under their armpit yeah he's done <laughs> It just reminded me of home. I'm like, wow. Listen, there's something to that. We should, you know, somebody, know somebody research it. But yeah. I think there's something to that. Every time. I need to like right under the arm. <laughs> <laughs> like I just think about that. Just, oh my God. Too funny. Um, but what's your favorite slang word phrase that to you represents like Dominican culture or is Dominican or that your mom used to say or that you still say? Oh man, I'm not gonna say it because they're curse words. Oh, you can get um, on here. <laughs> but um, you know what's funny? It's like my mom never, my mom doesn't curse, and I don't know why I came out so different from most of my family members. But I like, I am a pirate. Like I, and I, you know, I incorporated. I used to work at Major League Baseball um for kind of a couple years in the beginning of my career, and I was just mm. like. It was like a locker room in there. And so maybe that that just maybe <laughs> made me uh, put some yeah. roots in there. But yeah. Um, to me, is like, coño is like one of my favorite things to say. <laughs> and I try not to say it in front of the kids, but it's literally, I think it in my head. So I don't say it, but I think it often. Um, except it slipped once and then my two-year-old repeated it. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> It can be it can be a fun word to say. I think kids pick yeah. up on like the fun words, you know. Absolutely, she's like, I saw how excited my mom got. Yeah, um, when she said it, so it must be the best word ever. Um, and the last one is, what is your favorite part of the culture as a whole? I love that there's a sense of familiarity and family. Like the moment mm. you meet another Dominican it's all barriers are gone. Like it's like family automatic. Um, and I think we're just very hospitable, happy, joyous, vibrant, like, you know, mm. people. And, you know, there's this, the sense of, of um, home in every Dominican I meet. Mm. Um, and so that's my, that's my favorite part. You know, I, I, if you've ever had an opportunity to travel there, like they will scoop you up. You'll already be somebody's cousin and you're at somebody's wedding and they're throwing a party or somebody's roasting you a pig. Like it's just, it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's, um, they're just, they're just warm people. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of, that's, that's one of the, our best characteristics. You know, sabes que I felt that with every Dominican person I've ever met. Since I was a child to now, yeah. I como un amor, I una yeah. felicidad, and I'm like, it's yeah. unmatched. We are festive people. I'm telling. Listen, <laughs> I told you once. I would bring um like my friends from college to like around my family or um my weddings and stuff. Like our baby shower. Oh my god. It, there's like it's not like a you know here let's exchange gifts. It's like 
a party. Like my my baby Jara was like, we got DJ, we had lights. It was like yes, everybody was dancing, <laughs> kidding, 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 you know, merengue. And, um, and yeah, we're just like we're just festive people, you know. So it's it's we're we enjoy others' company and 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 we're we're natural storytellers. And so hence why you always like we're all animate animated with like, with our words and our and our hands and our onomatopoeias. But <laughs> but it's great, yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, that was our lightning round, and you said yeah. some different things. So I'm like, ooh, I'm excited for people to to learn something new about what it means to be Dominican through your eyes, right? And so I want to move into our cafecito and chisme section because okay. I want to know, girl, what you doing now? And I want to uh, hear about one kin and just hear again about what you're doing for the community. And yeah, let's hear about it. Yeah. So, um, oh my God. So one kin, I am the co-founder and um, CMO, one of the co-founders and CMO of OneKin. And we are a tech or mission-driven tech company centered around elevating like Black and Brown, Black and Latinx small businesses. But our main goal is to really drive socioeconomic change in our communities and underserved communities. So this this idea came to be, um, you know, a few years two, three years ago at this point, maybe 2017, you know, after a lot of, you know, the injustices that we continue to see in our neighborhoods, the, the dearth of resources, but also the police brutality. Um, and it was kind of, you know, the, the first waves of, of the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the such. And, and, and for us, it was, this was our form of, of advocacy and protest. From a very academic standpoint, we understand that through economic empowerment and collective economics, that we're able to kind of change um, the disparities or, or mitigate some of the disparities in our neighborhoods and 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 fuel kind of these local economies because there's a ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you if these small businesses are thriving, then they're able to hire locally. They're able, you know, there's statistics about what happens when you shop local, right? Um, yeah. The, 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 every dollar you spend, the majority gets recycled back into the community, which then, you know, boosts the local economy, the, the local economy, which then boosts the funds you have or, that are flood, that the government sends to your schools and, 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 and all these like shared resources. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, there's this, this huge ripple effects that back that happens similar to the greater economy. And it's all stimulated by small businesses and, yeah. um, and also local heroes. Like I, you know, I was telling you about Ponce and, and the, the Ponce mm -hmm. store and, you know, these are pro proximity to, to entrepreneurship, proximity to success, all these things, yeah. they drive success and they drive, you know, you, you can't imagine what you can't see um, or, or you can't really imagine a future where you don't see someone who looks like you um kind of manifesting mm -hmm. that reality mm. um and so that's obviously why representation is so important so for us one can the first product we launched in it towards achieving that was our curated marketplace right so think about an amazon for the lack of a you know for an example um your amazons your targets those all larger retailers we are 
similar, a marketplace um, com comprised of small and rising black and brown brands, black and Latino brands. And outside of just, you know, um, being a marketplace, like we are working with these entrepreneurs, these these incredible craftsmen and 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 alchemists to scale their businesses, right? To help them with their marketing, with their PR, with their financial modeling, with the competitive analysis. Like for us, it's important that we create a pipeline or an ecosystem for for them to to thrive. So for a customer, you know, they'll go to OneKin or shoponekin.co. And they'll they'll see the marketplace, right? Oh, like oh, we can shop beauty products, we can shop grooming, um, we can shop, you know, kids and books and all these other categories that we have available um, on the marketplace. But there's there's that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? There's like a whole yeah. science going on behind that. Oh, I love it, and economic empowerment. I feel like is not talked about enough. <laughs> oh, There's so much power in our dollar and where we can spend oh, it. Wow. And I think for a lot of us, first gens who have worked so hard to achieve, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. generational wealth or whether it's being in a good, stable financial place in their life, to have that privilege to invest it back right. in the community. Absolutely. I, I always think about that. I'm like, where am I spending my money? And like, you know, ultimately, who is it benefiting? And how can I continue to amplify the community and invest back in where I came from and my people and minorities and people of color, <laughs> like all of those things? Right, especially, you know, in, in a situation where, you know, what, what, what are the, what's the formula that makes these, these small businesses succeed and turn into, you know, all, everything we know at one point was a small business, right? But they were able to get loans and funding and yeah and and even something as simple as like family and friends you know what I mean who would donate yeah. um, angel investors who would help them grow and scale their businesses like you know we're new to this entrepreneurship world we're all like entrepreneurship is something that's ingrained like in the us. ingrained in us right like the tenets of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. is all over our cultures right but yeah in terms of, of growing and scaling a, a sustainable business here, we just don't have that 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 roadmap, that pipeline um, yeah. to succeed. So especially like if you look at COVID, I mean, COVID has exposed, if oh, there yeah. was ever a moment, you know, COVID has on a grand scale exposed all the inequities across every single industry and every in every single way mm -hmm. um, has disproportionately affected Black and Latino communities, disproportionately in every way. So true. It's sad to see what it took to get here, but it also is a massive opportunity um, with this kind of this, this, this consciousness movement of folks like wanting to shop from places that align with their personal values and what yeah. they stand for and ethics and all those yeah. things that, you know, it was like, Profits over people before, right? And that, mm -hmm. that that kind of shifting a little bit, and it's exciting, exciting to see. So so we've got our marketplace, folks. Check out these amazing um, brands that we have on there. But we're also currently developing a new live stream e-commerce app. So think about your QVC meets IG Live meets being able to shop and chat uh, with some of these retailers all live on your phone. That is the Twine Twine Experience, an app that we're currently building. 
Um, so, so in the coming months, you guys will be able to, to kind of experience e-commerce in a completely different way, um, similar to, to a lot of technology that China's current has been doing over the last year, but we're just bringing that technology and, and, and bringing it to small businesses and small businesses of color. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, groundbreaking and we're super excited about that. That's amazing. So I want to hear the, the beginning of the creation of Onekin. Was it you got pulled into it? You, you know, like thought of it or like how did the ideation part happen? Yeah. So, so I, um, it was birthed, um, through these three friends, um, three good friends were kind of thinking, kind of reacting to what was happening and trying to think of like, you know, their response to the situation. And they started kind of ideating around this marketplace or how, or around, small businesses. They come from a finance background. So that was like their natural gravitation. Um, and so they started doing kind of uh, initial research in terms of, you know, what does a marketplace look like? You know, vetting different retailers, going to government, you know, going to various different cities, city officials and being like, hey, do you have a directory of Latino businesses? Do you have a directory of black businesses? And, you know, and these, these, chambers of commerce being like uh no we don't know but like if you compile a list come give it to us and let us know mm. and we're like, you don't, you don't know, like how you're the you're the chambers of problematic commerce. <laughs> extremely problematic um and so there was no there was no uh foundation there there was nothing there and so they really started the groundwork um and thinking about um one can and 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 kind of what the business model kind of looked like and what it would be. Um, a few months later, you know, they're like, this is, you know, this is a great idea, but we need, we need a partner, another co-founder to come in and, and set fire to this idea, right? Set fire and bring it to life, productize it, launch it um, and, and give it a face. Um, and so I was, I, I had reached a juncture in my corporate career you know, um, where I was kind of done with all the bureaucracy and the red tape and the um, kind of just the, 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 the roadblocks that is corporate America, right? And, and what it represents and, and, who, and who tends to exceed in those circles mm-hmm. and who doesn't get to partake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and obviously, like, there are some at points unethical, like, and lack of, you know, decision making um, and lack of strategy. And I was like, I'm going to go on my own. So I started, cons- you know, consulting for, for a few different brands, um, bigger companies, some of them, which were clients of mine, when, you know, um, during my career. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm doing something that combines everything that I love, like my expertise, but also community and culture. And, um, and my friend, our good friend, shout out to Hiwete, um, who knew the guys, one of the guys. And she was like, this is the perfect marriage. Like y'all are looking for each other. And, and so, yeah. And so I, the, the universe was conspiring yeah. and we met and literally it was like, right then and there I was like this is it we're doing this and now like a few months later we like built it launched the marketplace two years in we're now into our second product after coming out of this <laughs> crazy year and yeah so so that's kind of like the 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 back end of the story but it, it, it has not been an easy road I don't think any entrepreneur can say it's just a roller coaster ride but you know it, it's one way that 
but it's where we have equity and you have ownership and mm-hmm. and we know we'll have it we know is having a direct impact in a lot of the businesses um, that we're currently um, that are currently in our network. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think especially I know 2020 has been a crazy, crazy ass year. But I think one of the things that I've seen happen is that more people are wanting to invest in black and brown businesses. And so maybe is that like, is that, have you felt that? Like, has that been a good thing? Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely um, an opportunity there, right? Mm -hmm. I think people have become more cautious and they're having more conversations, et cetera. I mean, I think what happens is that there's a um, funds get concentrated for on around um, kind of startups that that are the more well-known ones. Mm. Um, And so it would really, you know, they really, it would be great to have them really do, you know, these VCs and angel groups and angel funds to really come in and and, and hit where it would make the most impact. You know, VCs aren't the route for everyone, especially not for a small, small and growing business. Um, and, and it's also you know, a very small percentage of people who get VC, you know, venture capitalist money to, to scale in that way. Where we're, where we're missing and where the gaps that would be great to be filled are, are in the early seeding, right? Like early, the, the beginnings of these startups, um, when they're yeah. just starting to raise revenue, understanding that we don't have trust funds and yet, right, yet, and that we don't have friends and family to to come in on the pre-seed round, which is the round, friends and family round, when it's like, hey, pre-seed, let, to put it into context, yeah. when Donald Trump was like, yeah, my dad gave me a million dollars. It's like, what? We don't have that. That's, that's yeah. you know, no, that's, that's technically, okay. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's technically friends and family, but yeah. we don't have, we don't have that. And so like, it would be great to see them coming in where they're where the where the um, funds would really make an impact, which is at the beginning juncture for a lot of these businesses. So yeah, it's an yeah. exciting time, and we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll see a lot of um, growing businesses. I know I know COVID has closed disproportionate amounts of Black and Brown businesses, yeah. and it's also um, you know a lot of the funds that fold the PPE and uh, the excuse me, the, the funds that the government was allotting, people were requesting, but a lot of the communities of color and businesses were not, you know, were not getting that support to stay afloat, especially women of color yeah. are driving entrepreneurship and the rate of small businesses in the country. And so, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful and confident and, and I'm putting this energy out in the universe that yeah, manifest it. <laughs> yeah, manifest it that that consumers will, will start to see the value in, in not just like I'm here to support. No, it's not about just supporting. It's about kind of adjusting your lifestyle and seeing that as not a charity case to support a Latino black owned band, but that there's mm-hmm. value there and that, you know, you are paying X price point for something that's unique and something that, and that you understand the ripple effect that it would have and you see it for its value. So, um, and that, and that investors, investors will, will see the same thing. So. Yeah, no snaps to that. It's again, it's knowing the power behind your money and where you spend it and like wanting to invest back in the community, um, in black and brown businesses, because it ultimately can break a lot of cycles, right? 100%. I mean, it, I go back to what you were saying. It was funny to me when you were like, I didn't know I was broke. 
and are important. <laughs> I, did I, I totally did it. <laughs> I totally relate to that. I like, yeah. you know, I think I do things were rough, but you know, we couldn't go to the park. You know, my, my, we always laugh. I was like, I could, I wasn't allowed to go outside. Like my mom would not let me go play uh-huh. unless it was under Same. her supervision. <laughs> And I would like go across across the hall to see, you know, on my cousin's fire escape to, to see what was going yeah. on. <laughs> and like, I don't know if you guys use this phrase, um, "thigeres" for like young boys. No, no. Okay, so she was, you know, I I would go to the fire escape to see what the thigeres were doing because they would. They, I wasn't allowed to talk to any boys either. Mm, um, <laughs> bien. Right, right. So, so anyway, but but you going going. The reason why I mentioned that is is um, you know I I did. You know, you you see the the world you live in for for the beauty that that it that it offers, and then it's not until you leave that you realize, oh my God, there's a huge discrepancy here. And for me, it was boarding school, and I didn't understand true, so I got a scholarship. Um, I was always my vision of giving back to my community because I felt like I got so much love and so much care from not just from my mom, from my family, and from my neighbors, and so much in my community that I felt like they deserved better in certain ways and I had to give back. And so I held strong on education and, and worked my little yeah. butt off um, to ensure that I was like in every single program. I don't know where it was going, taking me, but I was like, this, yeah, this is the way, this is the way I'm going to find a way. Yes. And, um, and when yeah. I, I got the scholarship to go to, to a boarding school in Concord, Massachusetts, I was like, this is, this is real. This is wealth. Um, you know, we drive yeah. by people's gates and it was like, there's a house behind those gates and that's where people live. Um, and just understanding how those worlds operate and then coming back home and seeing the lack of resources and what we were missing out on. Yeah. It just, you know, it's, it's, it's core, it's a core to what we're, we're trying to, to bridge with one can, you know, where did you, where did you apply, um, like how old were you when you applied to boarding school? Oh my God. I was, well, I filled out my own FAFSA form and all the applications and every first generation kid can relate to that. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> the struggle. The no struggle. one, I, I was blessed where I had, it was, I think my brother's EOP, not EOP. It was a different program. It was a different like bridge program for like low income kids. He helped my brother get into college. And like my brother was like doing his college thing. And I was like, well, it's my turn. I don't know how to do this. My brother's too busy to help me. And he doesn't want to help me because he's like, I need to figure it on my own. (laughs) And I had to call, you know, his his like former um, like coach teacher. And yeah, literally like he did it for free because there was like a fee or he had to pay. I didn't, I wasn't in the school district. It was this whole thing, but he was like, I'm gonna help you. It's okay. Yeah. I feel like we all have that story. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was like this, this program called prep for prep and y'all don't have it on the West coast, unfortunately, no. but you know, it's this organ, this preparatory program um, that kind of prepares you for um, to go into private and boarding schools throughout the Northeast. Mm. Um, and so you do these like 14, like rigorous months while you're at school and you have to maintain a certain a- average. And at like the age of 11 and 10, you're, you're reading, you're learning, you're learning Latin and, 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 and reading the Odyssey and, and wow. learning calculus. Wow. Like, I can't even spell my name, but anyway, um, <laughs> It was the most, it was the biggest blessing, one of the biggest blessings of my life because they were, mm. you know, they, they created that pipeline that I talk about. And, um, and so, yeah, through them, I was kind con- you know, they connected us with various boarding schools and I got to go to this amazing school called Middlesex where I was one of four Latinas. Um, Shout out. I- Holla. Yeah. <laughs> 
um but yeah it's just that the the dearth was was crazy and so i struggled yeah. man i struggled my freshman year so hard to act from like a cultural perspective I was like, nobody looks like me. I mean, you can imagine. I got my curly hair. I got my door knocker earrings with my name Jenny on it. I, I don't know what it was about that time, but like everybody wore their Jansport, Jansport book bag in the front. Yes. And then, and then you ink your name in it with like um, whiteout. And so I, like, oh, that's so funny. Like, like everybody's wearing Lily Culture and, and Jake Rue and L. Bean. And they were just like. All right, Jenny. Right. So like completely different like world and, and existence. Um, oh my God. There. But, um, but yeah, wow. I mean, it just, kind of just, it was hard for me to uh, reconcile these two worlds. And at yeah. you know, college, I was like, I'm going to figure this, this shit out. Excuse my French, y'all. Um, told you I cursed. So yeah, I was like, you are welcome to, this, <laughs> is, like, this is an inclusive yeah. podcast. <laughs> I got to, um, I got to college. I got to Brown university. Shout out to Brown. Bruno, you know, and, um, and I was like, I'm doing policy and history and I got, I'm going to figure out like, what's the infrastructure? What are the, the factors that go into driving these, these inequities? Yeah. Oh, so powerful girl. You are powerful. You're a badass. Love that you're on here telling your story. And I love one of the things that I'm picking up is that you, you know, you talk about they gave you that pipeline and now you're investing it back into your community and giving your community a pipeline. I think that's the beautiful poetic piece that I'm picking up from your story. Yeah, they, I mean, there's power in community and power in collaboration. And, yeah. and it's important for us to be doing it for us. And it's, yeah. You know, not not to to quote Fubu <laughs> or anything, but it, 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 Fubu, it, right? Right? It's like, yeah. you, but it's you know. true. It's true. I mean, if, it's it's that power of representation, right? Like, like yeah. If I see a Latina, a black and brown owner, I'm gonna want to invest in it. I'm gonna want to be a part of it. Or I can be them. You know, I think for I can so be long them. In yeah. my career, I was like, this is what a CMO looks like. You know, or in I still feel that way sometimes. Corporate America, like, <laughs> yeah, girl, I killed my 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 curls, right? Like from from blow drying it so much, right? And being like, it wasn't that I was ashamed of like myself. It was just that it was a distraction, right? For mm. for folks, um, it accentuated my otherness when I wanted them to focus on the values and my ideas and my contributions. Um, you know, like I would wear baggier pants because I've always been very gifted in my derriere, <laughs> very blessed in my Ooh, girl. <laughs> I, excuse me, read out the I, gifted part. No, no, <laughs> no. I literally talked about this with another person on my, on my podcast, but I talked about how I, I've always been at five, nine, I'm hella tall. I'm oh, tall yeah. and I'm hella curvy. I like, I have big hips. Like I've been blessed the Lord. He blessed me, but like big, big ass hip. And I'm just like, I see, I see, you know, like that's how you made me. And in the workplace, I always felt ashamed of it. And I would try to hide it because I was uncomfortable in both in all senses of the word, you know, and I would be in these spaces where I felt so again, like you said, the otherness. Right. Right. And for, for me, it was just, it was just that it was like, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be looked at or not, not looked at, but I, I don't want my otherness to distract from. So it was not a, a matter of shame. It was more so 
editing yeah. of, of my authentic self and of, of, mm. of cultureness, right? Because that yeah. wasn't deemed as professional, right? If we look at, right. which I hate this word because it wasn't meant for us, but like, Oh my god! Yes, girl. I hope I had a whole LinkedIn post about this, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't post it on LinkedIn. People are going to come at me, but I was like, whatever. <laughs> That's how I feel. Well, it's true. I mean, professional translated into whiteness for me, and so, yeah. Um, yeah. or if not whiteness, not me, right? Like not yeah. what I represented, and so I blew dry my hair all the time, and I wore like baggy, baggier pants, so my 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 booty wouldn't be as accentuated, and. I, I pipe down my, my, you know, I get, I don't know if you ever saw this skit where it's like <laughs> Lil John does this song. <laughs> I always have references to movies, y'all. Um, Lil, Lil John is on the Dave Chappelle show and he goes from like rapper and he's like, yeah. And then two seconds later, he turns into like a Steve Urkel and he's like, well, actually, I believe that, you know, the <laughs> microcosm of whatever. That, that's me. That code switch happens like this. No, know? but you know, it's, it's problematic because it makes people that look differently, that speak differently, that come from different places that aren't represented they feel like they can't be in those spaces. And 100%. I struggle with it all the time because I'm like, I want my, you know, my nephews who just moved from Honduras to like feel like they can be in these spaces. But how am I doing it justice if I'm trying to change myself to be right. in these spaces? And it's like, it's a hard challenge for me that I like literally had to come to terms with like a couple years ago. But you know, it's like creating that again, representation and redefining what professionalism means because you're right. It was not created for us. I literally think of old white men sitting mm -hmm. at a table, like this is it. This is what professionalism means. <laughs> right. 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 And like, you know, things you pick up and little micro microaggressive comments here and there, yeah. um, which kind yeah. of in your world, um, evidence these narratives, right? Evidence, mm -hmm. these insecurities and these thoughts that you have. And so I think now for me, especially with my daughters, right? Because my daughters are literally like, <laughs> it's like watching a mirror. I can't practice. I can't, I gotta practice what I preach to these girls, man, because mm. it, they're like a mirror. Um, but <laughs> they're going to be like, going you. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, listen, they know not, those are mommy words. They can't say Those it. are mommy words. Um, <laughs> People on your podcast are going to think I'm crazy. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, I think it's important for me now. Like I had, I struggled with what, well, what is authenticity, right? Like, damn, mm. I feel like I'm being one way with my family. I'm being one way with my friends. I'm one way with this, that, and the other. And then, you know, I'm I... spending time with that. It's like, well, that is natural. Like we oh. modulate depending on where we are. You as a mom is a different person and that's fine. Mm. This therapist once told me and she was like, well, Jenny, why are you harping so much on authenticity? Like what you having an authenticity crisis? Like what's happening? She was like, being authentic is, is, is showing up in the way that's authentic to you, depending on where you are. So it's not, it's mm. like whatever you feel right now, you acting on those feelings and experiencing and, and being yourself in that moment, that's you being authentic in that moment. Authenticity mm. is a decision in every moment. And so in those moments when Oof. you're in corporate America is what's your authentic self? Like, are you conflicted that you're editing yourself? Then go girl, put on your lipstick and put on your hoops. And it's okay mm -hmm. to speak in a certain, you know, like, you know, and, and so, and so I was like, wow, this is why you get paid. Um, and so now for me, now for me, it's not so much with leading with like, you know, 
academic terms and like, you know, trying to sound um, a certain way to appease yeah. a certain crowd or, 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 or you know, kind of solidify or justify the spaces that I'm in. Oh, she's Latina, but she's very articulate or she's very smart or she can't, you know, all that. I hate it. Exactly. (laughs) Now I'm just like, no, this is what a founder looks like. She's, you know, first immigration, you know, grew up broke, you know, single mom from Brooklyn, Dominican. And yes, she's, you know, has, had a successful career and has a very privileged academic background due due through through you know myriad luck and a lot of hard work um but but this is what you know this is what she sounds like this is what she looks like this is I can be that and there's power in that This, this year we had these interns and part of the internship um was I wanted them to meet some of the founders from the other founders, um, the other retailers, hear their stories, not just from us, but from them directly. Mm-hmm. And one of the girls afterwards was like, I never thought that I could be an entrepreneur. Like it seemed like such a foreign alien idea to me until I met Eve Milan, Eden from Eve Milan, who's one of our, she's my girl, one of our retailers, genius woman um, who developed mm-hmm. the whole beauty line and we carry it on one kin. But she was like, she's like me. Like that would be the type of entrepreneur that I would be her personality and how she acts. And and that was powerful for her, right? Seeing someone that she, she felt kinship with being a founder and a successful beauty, indie beauty brand. And that was powerful for her. And that then it was powerful for me. And I was like, this is what, you know, like, this is, this is the change right here. Girl. (laughs) We covered so many topics together. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful. I I want to close this conversation, and this is my favorite part. I want to close this conversation with a little brindis. Mm-hmm. I know my cafecito's done. Like I don't have any more cafecito, but I have some water. <laughs> <laughs> I have some agüita. I got some water too. But we ran out of presidente, and so my husband's gonna be drinking some later. So if this was later. It would be a much littier conversation. Oh, girl. We, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. My friends were like, Jess, you should have like a, like a hella Latino after hours show where it's oh like, you really God. just like drink wine or like alcohol, you know, whatever it is that you drink. <laughs> we would drink chicha. I don't know if you've heard of chicha. Chicha? But it's like, no. Yeah. So Los Andreños, we, we drink this. It's like fermented pineapple. You know, they have to spend that and then it turns into a delicious alcoholic drink <laughs> called chicha. Oh, I'm coming over. Next time oh, I'm no. next yeah. time I'm in, in, in Cali, when that will be. You will have <laughs> one thing that we have in common is we eat hella platano, so you will feel at home. Perfect. Listen, I'm Dominican. I will make myself at home. Oh <laughs> man, this this has been great. Thank you again for inviting me creating these very vulnerable, authentic spaces. I think it's, it's necessary and it's needed. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, I think our community, we just want a space to feel heard and seen and represented. Absolutely. And so I know that's certainly what I always wanted. I know a lot of my friends who are Latinos who come from underrepresented communities, they wanted the same. So I was like, why not create this space for my, my, my people, my, my comunidad, you know? And so 
it's been a blessing. It's every time I meet someone, I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Like, how have we not been friends before? Right. And like, I feel like I already know you. <laughs> but I want to close this with the Vrindis, um, which is, you know, I want to close with the cheers and manifest some good for our Latino community. So Absolutely. I want to give you a chance to manifest and get to cho- you get to choose what we cheers to. Oh, man. So... 2021. So my intention, right, what I'm manifesting and what I'm trying to create is, is just a whole lot of unity um, and empathy for 2021. That's my brindis um, moving forward is just that we tell our stories, we share our stories. Um, and that in no matter the ugliness around us, you know, we find those, those, those commonalities. Um, and, and, and really and get down to what makes our culture beautiful, right? Because there's all this immigration talk and everything with the election and, you know, this anti-immigration feeling and sometimes our countries against each other and, and they're, they're, they're just, it's a common divide and conquer tactic. So, so the manifesting that I'm sending out there is like, let's all have one big block party. Everybody come together. <laughs> oh, girl, that would be so good. You know, and and empathy yes. and love and health and and community in 2021. That's my brindis. Or now, forget about 2021. Let's, let's make that happen right now. 2021. We're gonna put it out there. Big block party. 2021. Right? We'll, we'll 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 make the block parties intentionally around the voting areas. <laughs> intentionally, intentionally, right? Like block party next to polls. <laughs> That's it could be called that block party by the polls. Listen, poll if poll block parties become a thing, you heard it first right here with the two right here. Yeah. This is our this is our brainchild. One hundred percent. Salud amiga. Thank you. Saludo. Thank you. Much love to you all. So before y'all jump off, I want to end this episode just a little differently. And only because I'm in this spirit today where I just want to talk to you one-on-one and hopefully you're listening to this and you can feel my spirit, you can feel my joy today. But I've been telling y'all about my new sponsor and partner, Rise On, and how y'all as Hello Latino fans, supporters, listeners get one month free membership with them, which means you'll have time every single week to intentionally reflect and start your mental and emotional fitness journey. And let me tell y'all, I've been a part of Rise On for over a month now, and I can't begin to explain, I can't even describe how much this community has helped me become more at peace with myself and become more present and become more in touch with who I am, with my goals, with living from the inside out. And let me tell y'all, being part of a community of badass Latinos, people of color, first generation folks, it's amazing. So for this holiday season, I want y'all to remember to treat yourself, invest in yourself, practice vulnerability and authenticity. And in case y'all want to do it with us, stick around and listen to Chris Gates, the most dope Latino out there and co-founder of Rizon. Mi gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. 
Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Riseon.life. Mi gente, let's rise on.